Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So one of the things that's interesting about moving here is watching all of the people who come here to retire. Now understand why this is, you know, a thing for us is we come from Northern Virginia. And for the record, I do not come from the uh, West Virginia or Southwest, South, Southwest Virginia. I pastored there for three and a half years before I came here, but I'm not from the Appalachian Mountains. Now, how do you know I'm not from there? Notice the accent or lack thereof accent from the Appalachian Mountains, right? So I'm from Northern Virginia, and um, everybody who works up there all is connected somehow to the federal government. We have Quantico up there, Fort Belvoir up there. Um, which is an army base, Quantico, which is FBI training center, Marine Corps base, I mean, the Pentagon, and then, of course, everything with D.C. that you can imagine, of course, is all up there. And people did crazy things, at least to me, for their jobs. People would drive hours a day each way to work. And 95 there makes 501 here during the middle of the summer look like an empty parking lot. Not kidding. When y'all say traffic, I say, oh, you don't know. You just don't know. And people would drive hours each way, whether car, bus, train. One of my friends would get up at 3.30 in the morning every day so he could take his one and a half hour commute to have less traffic. I mean, talk about a lot of time driving. Everybody did this kind of thing there. And why did they all do it? For retirement, for health insurance, for benefits. I mean, their purpose, the reason why they were living was to go to the beach one day and do nothing. (laughs) And I thought, huh, What an interesting way to live. Now, here's my point, and you know this. There's something inside all of us, something programmed deep inside all of us to live for, in fact, suffer for, because what else do you call sitting in traffic for three hours a day? There's something inside all of us to live for and suffer for a purpose. Whether we like it or not, all of us are purpose-driven type of people. We all need or want something to get up in the morning for, something to get us for going, something that we can look towards and go, yeah, I hate my job. It's absolutely miserable. But in 32 and a half years, I'll be able to retire with 10% of a pension. It's going to be amazing. And I just look and go, "Uh uh-huh. Many times people do this without knowing it or realizing it. They live for these things or these these goals, this preferred future, hoping for this comfort or this thing will happen later in life. As we just talked about, many live for retirement. They live to go to the beach and lay there and turn into leather. That is what they're looking forward to in life. Others live for health benefits. 
Everything they do is for the goal of being able to go to the doctor so they can make them better to then go do things they hate. Right? You just don't like the way I'm putting it, but you see it all the time, don't you? Some live for our kids' dreams. Everything they do is centered around their kids being that great sports star one day. And listen, I'm not a math guy. I'm not. But you may want to look at the statistics or the probability of your kid actually becoming one of those athletes. You may want to just play the lottery instead. I'm just letting you know. Or some of us live for our kids' education. Everything is centered around them getting in that school. And then once they decide to leave the house, what do you do? You get mad that they're leaving the house, don't you? And everything you did was to get them there. And then you get mad that they're leaving. Or maybe we're living to build that business. We just want that thing to grow so our kids can sell it one day. Isn't it? All of us live for something. We are purpose-driven people. And I believe many of the things we're living for are just far too small. They won't satisfy. They won't bring joy. Oftentimes, what we're living for is, quite frankly, out of our control. Because here's the thing about our plans. What happens when they don't come true? What happens when life actually turns out to be very different? I've told you before, but I had two very, very good friends who were living for retirement. They were retirement-driven. Both passed away near 40. I found others to be very driven by retirement just to find out that sometimes when you get older, you may not feel as good as you did when you were younger. Sometimes health gets in the way. Sometimes family situations change. Sometimes we end up losing everything because of something someone else did. I remember one of my family members who was going to retire in 2008 because they had a whole lot of money. They're still working. Plans didn't work out the way they thought it would. Life happens. Things don't always turn out the way we hoped and dreamed for. But you see, life happened to the Apostle Paul as well. No matter what happened, and this is amazing, no matter what happened, he could still do his life goal. His life goal was far bigger than himself. His purpose wasn't about pleasure. His purpose wasn't about him at all. He was living for something much larger than his comfort or his retirement. He was living for something much greater. And that's what I want you to think about today. If you were honest, you can be honest. I'm not going to ask you. What are you living for? Really, what are, you, what are you living for? What's that thing that gets you up? If we were to look at your finances, what is it it would show you were living for? If we were to look at where you spend your time, what is it you're living for? If we would talk to you about, or we would hear about what you really worry about all the time, what would it show you're living for? What are you willing to sacrifice for? You see, today we're continuing our series in Philippians. 
This is the third week in this series. If you've missed the other two, you can go back and listen to them online anytime. But so far, we've learned some great things from the Apostle Paul. Remember last week, we learned that everything he's writing, he is locked up. He's in prison. He's writing to friends who's concerned about him, who's taking care of him. He's under guard. He knows that Rome could kill him at any time for his faith because they killed the founder of the faith. And if they're willing to do that to him, surely they're willing to do that to his follower. And where we look, uh, left off last week was Paul explaining that, yes, yeah, some people are preaching the gospel out of the wrong motives, but his concern is what? His concern is just that the gospel is being preached. He's not concerned about those other things. He's just focused and excited about Christ being made known to the world. And he continues... Philippians 1, the second part of 18. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This man is full of joy, by the way, folks. He says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You see, Paul is in prison, but Paul is fully relying on Christ. He's fully rejoicing in Christ. Christ is able to sustain him in the midst of life going off track or life going off according to his plans. Why? Well, Paul's reliant upon prayers. He knows the people are praying for him, and of course, he's praying for himself. Remember, remember James tells us that prayer is powerful and effective, which reminds us that we must pray. We must go to the Lord and cast our cares. We must give our things to him and we must pray for other people. Sometimes we just want to dive into a situation and fix it. Anybody else like that? I know me and Bill are like that. I don't know about anybody else. Anybody else like it? We just want to fix things. But do we pray about things? Do we pray and ask God to go in front of us? Yeah, we're on our way to fix it. Lord, hurry up and get there before me. I need you, Lord. So we know he's relying upon Christ through prayer. But not only is he relying upon prayer, he's relying upon scriptures. Right here, he's quoting Job 13.6 when he says, uh, what has happened to me would turn out for my deliverance. It's a direct quote from the book of Job. He understands in relying upon the scriptures in the middle of his storm. He is steadfast and is recalling the life of Job and understands that either way, no matter what happens, it's going to turn out for his deliverance or his salvation, like God's going to come through one way or the other. So he's relying upon prayer. We see him quoting scriptures. So he's relying upon God's word. The spiritual disciplines we learned about, remember we did a series about it. The spiritual disciplines will take us to the place where God can do something in us and through us. And for Paul, what we learn is he is experiencing the presence of what? The spirit. So he's feeling the spirit and the power of the Lord. One of my good friends lives in Arkansas, and this week I gave him a call, and um, he was going through that ice storm, you know, that swept over them. And I said, man, how, how, how are you going? You know, you guys still have power. He said, yeah, it's real bad outside. I can't go. He said, but we, have, we still have power, so everything's good. My first th- thought came to this because I was preaching, going, you know, when you're sitting there with power, all sorts of things can be happening around you, and it doesn't matter, does it? When we're sitting in the power of the Spirit... All sorts of things can be happening all around us. And we're like, yeah, we're okay. It's going to be all right. No big deal. God's got this. 
So Paul is fully relying upon Christ. He's held up by prayer and the spirit and scriptures. Here's what he says in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. We're going to unpack this for a little while. Because what Paul is concerned about, and folks, you can't make this up. You can't fake this. What Paul is concerned about is not bringing shame to the name of Jesus Christ. He's going through all sorts of things, but his concern is Christ being glorified, whether he lived or whether he died, that Christ would be made known. Christ would get the credit. And here's what's important. In his hardships, in his difficulties, he is concerned by speech and action how he is reflecting Christ. I mean, how many of our testimonies for Christ are ruined in traffic? Something so simple. And yet if our windows are rolled down, whoo. He said, no matter what happens, I want Christ to be glorified. You see, for Paul, faith wasn't a private matter. In fact, the idea that faith is a private matter is non-existent in the Bible. It doesn't exist. It's unheard of. This idea that faith can be categorized over here and the rest of our life can be over here and that we can pull from our faith sometimes on the weekends when we're not actually busy or when things get hard, I'll just open up that container of faith and use it, is non-existent. Faith is what compels us to do everything else in life. Faith should affect all aspects of who we are. See, one of the best ways to understand faith is understanding that in our relationship with Jesus Christ, when we say we believe in him, when we give him our life, when we say that prayer, however we want to word this idea of salvation, the best way to understand it is that we have pledged our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Our confession of faith is pledging loyalty and commitment to him. So, Brian, I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. Well, look, I got a Bible verse for you. I'm glad you asked about it. Romans 6, 17. Paul says, but thanks be to God that, th- that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now what? Claimed your loyalty, your commitment, your entire being. You see, Paul was more concerned. We must be more concerned about bringing glory to Jesus than our own glory or our own retirement or than our kids' glory or our kids' future. We must be concerned about bringing glory to Jesus. See, Paul knew in his hardships people were watching. Do you know in your hardships and your difficulties, when you're going through those things, people are watching. They're watching to see if your faith actually works. How many of us are interested in something, we're examining something, then one of our friends by it, we're like, okay, good. I want to see how it goes for them first. And if it breaks within the first couple of days, if it seems to be no good, you're going to keep, you're going to buy it? Right, if 
understand that all people that we know in our workplace and our employment and our families, they're watching to see if our faith works. But see, Paul didn't want to bring shame to Christ. Going back to the verse, Philippians 1.20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that in no way I will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. See, Paul chose to be courageous. The truth is, all of us are going to experience fear. It's one of those emotions that every single one of us have. it's, It's naturally ingrained in us, and fear can be a good thing. But following Jesus, if you choose to follow Jesus every day, all day, if you choose to put him first, you're going to experience fear. Because life isn't easy. And yet we continually have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And living by faith means you don't know what's going to come. Living by faith means I don't have a plan. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm going to take this next step. Because if I knew what was going to happen, would that be considered faith? No. So when we follow Jesus, he's going to take us to a place that's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to be scary. We're going to get nervous. We're going to live in, we have to live in this place where we say, God, if you don't come through, this is going to be a disaster. And I say it every single Sunday. I'm not joking. God, if you don't come through today, mm -mm, this is going to be bad. Sometimes it's still bad. I'm like, God, I don't know what happened. But if you don't come through, God, it's going to be bad. But you cannot be. And I tell my kids this all the time, and you know this. You cannot be courageous unless there's a little bit of fear present. That's what courage means. Courage literally means to do something that frightens. And it's scary. And Paul was in a scary situation, but he said, hey, I'm going to choose courage. I'm going to put the glory of Christ, the exaltation of Christ above my fear. And luckily for us, we're not the first people to get scared about living by faith. Remember Joshua. It's one of, you know this story. I know this story. I love this verse that we're going to get to. Remember Joshua was the successor of Moses. He was called to take the promised land and do what the Lord asked them to do. Why? Because the generation before him failed. Because the generation before him chose fear over faith. They said the people are too big. It's going to be too scary. Even though God said the promised land's yours, I've given it to you. Go get it. They're just like, no. Makes me too uncomfortable, Lord. I don't want to do it. They missed out on the gift that God had for them. And what did they do? They kicked sand for 40 years. And that's what some of y'all came to retire and do. Kick sand. I don't, just kicking it, laying there, just like the Israelites. Missing out on all that God has for us because we just want to what? Kick sand. Just laying sand all day. They missed out on God's blessing for them. And now it was time to step up. Joshua and his generation were told to take that step of faith. And here's what God told them because he knows what they lacked last time. Joshua 1, 6 6 and 9 says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. 
Have I not commanded you? Folks, he's like, haven't I already told you it's yours? Haven't I already told you I'll be there with you? Haven't I already gifted you? Haven't I already told you? Haven't I supplied? Like, like you can't see it, but it's already there. You just got to walk to it. It's, It's right there. Like, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Joshua and Joshua's generation chose to be courageous. They chose to overcome their fear with faith. Because when you're living for something greater than you, you can find the courage that overwhelms your fears. You can find the faith in God to squelch, to deal with all those things you're worried about. And they did what God asked. They chose to believe God. They chose to live in faith. And guess what? It worked out. Does that surprise you that God's going to come through? Does it surprise you that when you're obedient, he's going to give you exactly what he told you to do? I mean, it shouldn't surprise us. It was fearful to them, but it was already prepared for them. And so Joshua, at the end of his life, Israel is living in the promised land. They're experiencing great thing. At the end of his life, here's what he left them with. Joshua 24, he reminds them. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Give him your everything. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But, he says, just be honest, okay? Like, just between us, be honest. But, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether it's the God of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, and who's your land you are now living. Did you catch that? You can serve those gods of those people over there, but we took their land. Like, we're living in their land. You can go worship that. It's worthless, but go for it. That's what you want to do. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We're taking our stand. If you fear God, he says, if you put him first, and you're concerned about what he thinks, if you're concerned about what he says, if you're concerned about his calling in your life, if you fear on not hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant, if you fear on missing out on what God has in store for you, then those other things won't matter anymore. When we put God first, he says, make a choice. They had competing gods that, you know, blessed them, would be agriculturally or financially, whatever. Their gods did things. And we have the same things. We just don't call them gods anymore. We just call them sports or sex or health benefits or academics. We serve things that give us things. Their gods were transactional. I do this, you do this. Isn't that what we do? We serve these things and expect to get something from them. Joshua said, make a choice. Be honest with yourself. What are you going to give your life for, for me and my family? We're choosing the Lord. And so let me ask you, what are you living for? What is that thing that gets you up every morning, that thing you hope to see happen every day, What drives everything about your life? And for Paul, it was bringing glory to Jesus Christ and all that he did. He chose to be unashamed in the eyes of God rather than being concerned about what others thought about him. 
He was prayed up. He was read up, living in the power of the Spirit. And here's what helped him make the choice. We're going to go further into Paul's thought. Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die, well, that's gain too. Either way, I'm living for Christ. With Christ being the center of his life, whether he lived or whether he died, it didn't make a difference. And here's what I want us to lean into. What does it to mean, live is Christ? To live is Christ. Because I think we over-spiritualize it and make it just a great slogan. Because this is a popular Bible verse. Live is Christ. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. It's Christ. It just is Christ. Remember, what's the answer in church? Jesus, 85% of the time, right? So what does live Christ? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. But he explains it. Let's first look at the second part, this die is gain. Then we'll dive into the first part to understand. He's saying to live is Christ or to die is gain. Look at verse 22. He says this. He says, I am torn between the two to live in Christ or to die is gain. He said, I desire to part to be with Christ, which is what? Far better. What's he referring to there? Heaven. He said, I know what's await for me. I know what's on the other side. He's torn between living and dying. Now, please don't make this mistake. He's not saying martyrdom is an awesome thing and go seek it. He's not saying to end your life prematurely to go to heaven. He's not saying any of those things. He's making a case to finish your life well, to be in the plans and the purposes of the Lord. And no matter where that takes you, even if it takes you to death, on the other side is awaiting glory with Christ. He says, I know what's waiting on the other side. It's to be with God. It's, it's the hope of being with Jesus. And do you believe that on the other side is eternal paradise? See, Paul did. He said, this life is just a, death is just a transition into glory with Christ. Paul was living for Christ. That was his eternal hope. He said, if I die, I'll just be in paradise. And he's facing it, isn't he? He's facing this situation. But let's go back, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. And he explains what he means. Verse 22 through 26, he says this. He says, if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I cut out some of it so you can see his focus here. You see, to live as Christ is living for other people to grow in their faith with Jesus Christ. To live as Christ is fruitful labor for Jesus Christ. Looking out for the interest of other people. Notice how he says, it's more necessary for you. Like if I stay on this earth, I know it's better for you. Not for me. I want to go be with the Lord. But it's more necessary for you if I continue here for your faith journey. In other words, to live his crisis, to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Paul was living for the development and the maturity of other Christians living in the faith. You see, last week we learned all about the mission of every single one of us is to share our faith with people. But it doesn't stop there. 
We are to not just share our faith with people, but we are to help them mature in the faith. Making disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, that means we must first go and tell people about Jesus. And then secondly, come behind them and teach them everything he commanded. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. Check this verse out. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He said, I am the one in charge, folks. I died and I rose again. I'm in charge. That's how that works. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Well, for baptizing them, what does that mean they first did? It means they gave their life to Jesus Christ, didn't they? So baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I am surely with you always to the very end of the age. Hey, Joshua, go take the land, be strong, be courageous, I'll be with you. Hey, church, hey, church, go, go, go take more land, go share the gospel, go develop people, go baptize people, go teach them. Hey, and guess what, church, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. The church should be continually taking ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is called the Great Commission. It's the marching orders for every single one of us and us collectively as a church. Our marching orders are to make disciples, reaching and teaching others. To live as Christ is to live for the mission of Jesus Christ. Go, Brian, I don't know what that means. Folks, why did he die? For other people. He gave his entire life for this, to save people, to help people, to reach people. Folks, that's what we are to give our life to as Christians, to reach people, to teach people, to help them grow in their spiritual life. And I'm with you. There are so many things that so many good deeds will do because of the overflow of our gospel, like help people, do good works, soup kitchens, feed. Like all that stuff is amazing. It's great. It's an overflow of being a Christian. It's called being good. It's called being kind. Those are great things. But please never forget, we are to invest in the lives for spiritual growth and transformation of all believers. We're to be investing in the lives of others for spiritual growth and transformation. That is the point of the church. We exist to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. To say it another way, we are here to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, the church, it isn't here to advance cultural traditions. It isn't here to be a networking club so you can know the right people or have a good standing in society. Church is about people, not programs, but human beings experiencing life change because of the gospel. And it's a continual thing. You see, once we experience God's grace and mercy, once it's flooded our lives, we then go and want to help others experience that life change. That thing from the grace of God, experiencing his mercy and his love. And we start working out in all areas of life. If I'm a Christian, what does that mean to work in business? If I'm a Christian, what does that mean I do with my marriage? If I'm a Christian, what does that mean I do with my friendships? If I'm a Christian, what does it mean I do with... And it's a life going, continual process, then we help other people to live like Jesus Christ.
We go after the last, the least, and the lost to share the gospel, to help them grow in their faith. But you see, all organizations, and you know this, all organizations, the longer they exist, they start turning inward, don't they? All organizations start focusing on themselves and what's good for me and what can I do. And this is a problem that so many churches are facing. Churchings are dying all over our country because they're focused on whom? Me. Us. I heard a church, I heard about a church the other day who's running off their pastor because he has brought life change to the church. Not here, by the way, before you start reading into this. It's not here. True story. Not here. But the church is growing. Attendance is up. People are being saved. People are being baptized. New members are joining the church, which I guarantee you the search committee asked for. Every search committee says, we want the church to grow. We want to see people saved. We want to see them baptized. We want our church to have vitality excited and once it starts happening well once it started happening true story the response from the people who've been there the longest was to fire and get rid of the pastor and it breaks my heart because here's what I want us to know church you've been at other churches and maybe you've been here your whole life you've experienced things like this I want you to know who actually gets affected by that The pastor? Folks, churches are hiring all over the place. There's a great need for pastoral ministry. Does it affect him? Maybe for a little while. Does it affect the people who've been there a long time? No, you know. They don't come that much, do they? You know that. The longer you've been at a church, I think the the least you come. It seems to be a consistent thing. I don't know. Not affecting them. Who's it affecting? The new Christians the new believers, the ones who are excited about what the gospel's doing, what's happening to their faith now? It's going to get crushed. And it happens all the time. And those are the people, do you think they come back to church? Hopefully. But it happens all the time because people put preferences over people. We choose preferences over human beings. And Paul is, and you can't miss this, Paul is more concerned about the well-being of this church than his own comfort, than his own preference. He says, I want to stay so I can help you. That means I'm going to be in jail longer. Who knows what I'm going to deal with? But he knows his personal gain will void them growing in their faith. So he chooses to neglect his personal gain, the things he He says, you know what? Instead of going to be with Christ, which I know is going to be better, convinced I'm going to stay to help you grow in your faith. Look again at the verse one more time. Philippians chapter 1 verse 24 through 26. He says convinced of this. Here's heart. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. For what? For your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. While he longs for heaven, 
And while we should long for that day where we will no longer be in pain, we will no longer be in suffering, we will experience glory with Christ, he says, I know it's far better if I stay here, not to work, not to retirement, not to get all those perks, but to help you grow in your faith. He said, because it's then, who will abound? This is important. And Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Their boasting in Christ Jesus will account. He wants to stay to bring more glory to Jesus. The longer I stay, the more you know about him. The more you know about him, the more who gets the glory? Jesus. It all comes back to bringing glory to Jesus. He says it's his priority. We want to make him known. We want other people to know. The more that know about him, the more that praise him. The more that praise him, the more he's glorified. Do we see it, church? The more other people know him, the more Jesus gets glorified. It's about whom? Him, not us. But what happens in churches all the time, and again, not here, don't hear that, but you experience church. The more people that are here, the less I'm known. The less I'm known as a church member, the less glory I have, the less power I have. But when we're focused on Jesus, the more people that's involved, the more glory he gets, the more excited we are. And can you imagine, church, if churches would put others progressing in their faith over their preferences? Can you imagine if all churches helped others experience joy in the faith rather than being concerned about how happy we are? It'll take a courageous mindset to put others before yourself because the fear is, and we all have it, the fear is, well, then I won't be taken care of. Then they won't remember me. The fear is we don't think we can be happy or comfortable with other people being around. But what we have to understand about this verse, do you remember at the very beginning, he talked about what? He says, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. And then here he's saying he's, he's, he wants them to experience this joy of the gospel because if they progress in the faith. In other words, here's what I want you to see. You will experience joy. You and me, we will experience joy when we're living for the mission of God. When we are Christ-centered, we will rejoice at Jesus being known. We will rejoice that other people know him. We will rejoice in the rejoicing of other people's getting to know him. Joy is found for the mission of Jesus Christ. Joy will not be found on the beach or health insurance or having a good golf game. And, and you know, the, the older you get, the worse your golf game's going to get anyways. You know that, right? I know once you get to go to those red tees, you get really excited, but we all know you're cheating. Like, I'm just letting you know, we all know that. It doesn't count that it's better because you move up. It doesn't count. But it's going to deteriorate. Or a degree hanging on your wall. What else do you want to fill your life with? But not only this, and this is very important to understand. Not only will you experience joy, he will do far more with your life than you could ever do on your own. You see, Paul thought he was going places. He had the education. He was in leadership development program. He had his life all ironed out. He was going to be a great leader, a great teacher. He was the religious elite. Paul was going places before he met Jesus. And then he gave his life to Christ. And where's he at? Looks like he ain't going anywhere. Literally. He's chained up. Can't go anywhere. Life's over. Life's a waste. Not going to work out. But Paul... 
Paul is one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. There aren't many leaders, maybe you can name some, there aren't many leaders that people are still talking about their impact 2,000 years later. The movement he spread is still going strong. Paul thought he was going to be a great Jewish teacher, but I promise you, now that he became a Christian, I, I don't know this, I should have looked it up, I don't know if anybody could verify this, but I'm pretty sure there's been more PhDs awarded by studying this man's writings than probably anything else in history. People are still trying to figure out and understand the length and the depth of his words. And as a great religious leader, he thought it was being a Pharisee. Well, I think the fact that we're still talking about his writings today takes care of that, didn't it? You see, Paul was thinking too small. He didn't know that his writings would become in the best-selling book of all time. Do you see when you're focused on yourself... You're living for something too small. When he turned it all over and gave it to Christ and his life changed, it looked like he had lost it all, but he gained far more than he could have ever planned for himself. God can do far more with you when you dedicate your life to him than you can ever do on your own. You see, we think living for God's glory is too small. We think being a disciple maker is too small. It's not big enough. But folks, there's nothing greater you can give your life to than being a disciple maker for Jesus Christ. Because it changes the world. It did change the world. And it can continue changing our worlds and our communities. The world is changed through people. Not programs. Not TikTok. Not sports. Not government spending. The world is changed when people courageously live for Jesus Christ and invest in other people. Spreading the gospel will bring you joy. Helping others experience and join Christ will bring you joy. And the amazing thing about this is that joy will just be expanded once you die. Once you get to be with Jesus, it'll just continue to multiply when you see him. And I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Church, if he can use someone like me, I can't imagine what he can do with you. Are you asking him? Have you prayed about it? Well, what is it you're actually living for? What's number one priority in your life? It's going, to be, it's going to take courage to live for Jesus. It's going to take intentionality of putting people over programs. So I ask, what truly is your life goal? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in desperate need of your mercy. Father, help us see where we are choosing to live for ourselves and our own plans and our own will. We recognize this morning that living for ourselves is such a small thing to live for. So, Father, help us live for Jesus. Father, we confess that we often let our fears overwhelm our faith. But, Father, we ask that you take us to the place where our faith overwhelms our fears. Help us be courageous. We know that in order to be courageous, Lord, we're going to have to take those steps that seem scary. So, Father, help us be bold. 
Show us where our preferences have become more important than people. Help us be like Jesus who gave up his rights for the benefit of others. Help us be devoted to life change in others. Allow us to experience your grace. Father, help us help other people experience your grace. Father, this morning we're committing our lives to your mission. We're committing our lives to helping others grow in their relationship with you. Help us see where we need to get involved. Help us see where we can join our local church in making disciples or where we can invest in others for your glory. Father, this morning we choose to put living for Jesus above all other things, knowing it is through him we will experience everlasting joy. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.